Would you mind standing with me in honor of God's word? All right, we are in Joshua chapter 1, and then I've got a few words, and then we've got a longer passage. Joshua 1. Be strong and very courageous. Be careful to obey all the law my servant Moses gave you. Do not turn from it to the right or to the left, that you may be successful wherever you go. Keep this book of the law always on your lips. Meditate on it day and night, so that you may be careful to do everything written in it. Then you will be prosperous and successful. And I want you to notice, we've talked a lot about entering the land, about faith and about courage and about agreeing with God and rising up in in faith. I want you to notice the words carefulness in these two verses. This is linked to you being successful and prosperous. You can't just be confident. You also need to be careful. Here we go. Um, Joshua chapter 9. However, when the people of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and I, they resorted to a ruse. They went as a delegation whose donkeys were loaded with worn-out sacks and old wineskins cracked and mended. They put worn and patched sandals on their feet and wore old clothes. All the bread of their food supply was dry and moldy. Then they went to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal and said to him and the Israelites, We have come from a distant country. Make a treaty with us. The Israelites said to the Hivites, But perhaps you live near us. So how can we make a treaty with you? We are your servants, they said to Joshua. But Joshua asked, Who are you and where do you come from? They answered, Your servants have come from a very distant country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard reports of him, all that he did in Egypt, and all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites east of the Jordan, Sihon king of Hashban and Og king of Bashan, who reigned in Ashtaroth. And our elders and all those living in our country said to us, Take provisions for your journey. Go and meet them and say to them, We are your servants. Make a treaty with us. This bread of ours was warm when we packed it at home and on the day we left to come to you. But see how dry and moldy it is. And these wineskins that we filled were new, but see how cracked they are. And our clothes and sandals were worn out by the very long journey. The Israelites sampled their provisions, but did not inquire of the Lord. Then Joshua made a treaty of peace with them to let them live. And the leaders of the assembly ratified it by oath. Three days after they made the treaty with the Gibeonites, the Israelites heard that they were neighbors living near them. So the Israelites set out, and on the third day came to their cities, Gibeon, Kephirath, Kephirah, Beeroth, and Kiriath-Jerim. But the Israelites did not attack them because the leaders of the assembly had sworn an oath to them by the Lord, the God of Israel. The whole assembly grumbled against the leaders. But all the leaders answered, We have given them our oath by the Lord, the God of Israel, and we cannot touch them now. This is what we will do to them. We will let them live so that God's wrath will not fall on us for breaking the oath we swore to them. They continued, Let them live, but let them be woodcutters and water carriers in the service of the whole assembly. So the leader's promise to them was kept. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the message you have today. 
Lord, you know how difficult it was for me and to take away all of the things I thought were really interesting and then just say these very few things that you want me to say. Um, I humble myself before you. I pray that you'd give us ears to hear what you want to speak. Please, God, help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. A call to carefulness is the name, is the title of the message. First, be careful because things are often not as they appear. Things are often not as they appear. And it's interesting in the text, isn't it? The Israelites, it's like they know something's not quite right. How do we know? How do we know? And, 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 and then they show them, look, here's our food. Here's our clothes. Here's our wineskins. Clearly, we've come from a long way away. The Bible says, 2 Corinthians 5, 7. Somebody just gave me this picture. I put it in my office. It's right, right there. We do not walk by faith. We walk by faith and not by sight. We don't overly rely on what things appear like. We look beyond them. This last week, I had a Zoom call with a leader in this region. He's, he's a good friend. He's been very locked down for the last year because he's got a, uh, one of his children is, is compromised in their health. And um, so we got a chance to catch up, and, and he said, tell me what you've learned from 2020. And I gave, gave him my stuff, and he says, tell me, and I said, tell me what you've learned. And he said, well, let me tell you about a dream I had right in the middle of, of the pandemic. He said, in this dream, God was dropping people in his church behind enemy lines. He said, I saw parachutes coming down, and, and the church of God was dropped behind enemy lines. And that's where he has the church right now. And, and I just stopped. I said, could I pray for you? And a, as I prayed for him, I saw his thing. I saw what he was seeing. And here's what I saw. It wasn't just that we were dropped behind enemy lines. It was in deep darkness. It was in the cover of darkness. In fact, so black so dark that no one could see anything. But part of our gear were these goggles that gave you night vision. And, and so the people in the darkness could not see. They, they couldn't see anything. They were, they were operating in darkness. But these that were dropped, that had this, this, these goggles, they could see clearly even in the dark. So this is what Jesus said to the church at Laodicea. The church at Laodicea, the church, had become blind. They had become blind because of pride. And Jesus is knocking at the door, asking them to open up, and he says, I have eye salve so that you will be able to see. You are blind right now. Your own pride has blinded you, even though you're the church. And I want to give you this eye salve so that you might See, God has night vision for his people. And if there's ever been an hour, guys, if there's ever been an hour where we can't go by what things look like, where we have to see, we have to see what God is seeing and then agree and speak what God is speaking. It's this hour. I had an experience 25 years ago 
in February. I was at Faustin, Minnesota, Bethel Assembly Church. I've told this story before, but and I was not in the sermon. The Lord insisted that I tell this story again, so we'll just tell it. There was an invitation to revival in the land at that time. It wasn't just our church. It was all over the United States. It had started in Toronto, Canada, and now it was down in Pensacola. And, and we had gone to both places, or we had gone to Toronto at that point, and, and came back, and God started moving in very crazy ways. And, and it, was, it was very disconcerting. If you're used to church as usual, people were falling, crying, laughing, shaking. People would walk around with their hands burning for a week, not knowing why they were burning. And it, it was... It was a crazy, it was a crazy time. And the, and the really old people in the church were okay with it. They had seen this before. They had seen revival before. Um, but their children, the people that were leading the church, some, some of them in their 40s and 50s, they had never seen this like this. And so the word got out that this was the devil, that the devil was, was actually working in the church instead of God. And you can imagine the tension that that brought. I'm just this very young pastor at the time. Of course, I'm still young, but I was, I was even younger 25 years ago. Um, and, uh, and, and, and I, I just, I want to bring, I want to bring peace to our church and, and I want to help them get past their fears of what is going on. And so I, I, I contact this guy, a friend of mine named Fergal McHale. He's from Ireland, and he had been used in the revival, and he was just such a gentle, fun-loving spirit, fellow Irishman. Um, I'm like, Fergal, I'd like you to come, and here's what I want you to do. I want you to preach a message called The Pinnacles and the Pitfalls of Revival, and I want you to bring our church. I want you to give assurance to people that we're not saying that everything that's happening is necessarily God. That, that flesh gets in and oftentimes people get their identity and weirdness. And, and, and I just want you to, to help comfort those that just because everything's not God doesn't mean God's not moving in this place. And so, so if you would just come and, and kind of bring the body together. You know, the pinnacles and the pitfalls of revival. So Fergal comes. We have him in a Sunday night service. And, uh, and what I have done is I have gone out and I have invited everybody that was struggling with me, struggling with what was happening, and said, you know, please just come to this Sunday night. I know you're kind of upset. I know you're, just come and, and, and I, I just really think it's going to help you. And so here it is. It's Sunday night. Church is full. They all came. Fergal starts speaking. And from the first words out of his mouth, I'm like, this is not going to go well. Gentle, loving Fergal is like on fire. He's just like, he never mentioned a single pitfall of revival. It was all about testimony after testimony of what God was doing, that the river was flowing, and it was time to jump in, and that you needed to jump into the river. And he spoke for an hour, which was way longer than I wanted him to speak. And so I'm already a little uncomfortable, but nothing compares to what he said at the end of the service. I am just like, are you absolutely kidding me? Here's what he says. He brings people up that want to jump into the river because he's going to pray for them. And he says, uh, he says, some of you that are seated, you are asking this question, why can't God touch me right where I am? He said, well, I'm going to tell you why. Because the only reason why you're sitting there is because of pride. 
And God wants you to push past your pride and humble yourself and get into the river. Yeah, oh, that's what a layman would say, Byron, is yeah, yeah, go. You know what the pastor's saying? No, 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 no. You have just, you have just hopelessly offended them. You, ha- you have just put a wedge in my church. You have come here. You've disobeyed what I said. You did exactly what I didn't want you to do. And I was, uh, he was staying at our house. But I was so angry that I did not trust myself to talk to him that night. So I'm like, I'm going to settle down and we will go face to face in the morning. But I cannot, I'm just, be, I was beyond myself. He has, so I go to bed about three o'clock in the morning, two or three right in there. I have this dream. And in this dream, I walk into a bar and there's a bar, there's a bar stool. I get up on the bar stool. There's a bartender. He comes up. But somehow I know this is not a bar. This is a McDonald's. And I order a Big Mac. And right after I order a Big Mac, everything freezes and a voice speaks over the top. And it says this. Things are not as they appear. And I wake up instantly. And I don't know how it works with God, but I knew a number of things immediately. That what, what Fergal had done that night was exactly what God wanted him to do. That, 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 God, that God was getting into the face of just stubborn pride. And that God was, was calling them out on it. Because he loves people. Because he, 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 he can speak that way. But he was doing more than getting in the face of those people. You know who else's face he was getting in? My face. And he, and he, was, he was saying, is, is this okay? I mean, is this my church or is this your church? Is this about you and your success and you holding it together? Or, or is this my church where I get to do whatever I want to do? Hmm. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Do you want to know what 2020 was about, guys? God was in our face. What was he, what was he talking about? He was breaking our control. He, he was confronting our strong opinions. And lots of folks got attended, uh, offended. They, people got offended over race. People got offended over masks. People got offended over politics. There were, I've never seen a year with more more people offended. In fact, I want to congratulate you for being here today. I want to congratulate you if you're watching online. You're still with this church. That is amazing to me. There's just been, there's been lots of opportunity for exit and, and, and many have taken them, but, but you're still here. God was breaking pride off of his church, certainly breaking pride in his leadership in this last year. Be careful because things are, not, are often not as they appear. Point two, be careful. Success easily breeds presumption. So, they have this incredible victory in Jericho. 
incredible victory. And so Joshua, the leader, what he does is just like he did before Jericho, he gets a couple spies and he sends them to spy out the next city, which is named Ai. And they come back and the spies say, hey, there's not many people here. We can take this. And and they give him a, a strategy and Joshua listens to the spies. He doesn't, he doesn't bother praying. He just listens to the spies. And they get their butt kicked. Chapter 8, verse 1. They've, they've, they, 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 he came back, they, their tail between their legs, and then God says, get up, deal with the sin. And then in, in 8.1 it says, Then the Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid, do not be discouraged. Take the whole army with you and go up and attack I, for I have delivered into your hands the king of Ai, his people, his city, and his land. Presumption comes from this success, has a horrible defeat, so now he's back to prayer. Now he's back to God. What do, what do you want us to do? And God speaks and says, here's what you're supposed to do. Here's how you're supposed to do it. And victory comes to Ai. Or victory over I. Victory comes to the Israelites just like God promised. But there's a problem. After that victory, after that success, we get a little filled with ourselves. We get a little self-confident. And I mean, wouldn't you think the first thing they did before Gibeon would be to pray? But no, no. We're just, we're, we're on to the next thing. And, and, the, and the Gibeonites, are you kidding me? They, they are suspicious. They're like, you got, how do we know you guys aren't from far away? Where are you from? And hey, did you notice? The Gibeonites, don't, they can't even think of a city. They just say, we're from far away. We are, we're, well, where specifically are you from? Far away. We are far. Guys, if they can't even name the name of the country they're from, it's probably fake. But they don't bother to pray. It says they did not inquire of the Lord. Success is very dangerous. It can make you presumptuous. It can make you filled with your own self-confidence. And it, it, it can lead you. The Bible says that, that before a fall comes pride. Honor, humility before honor, and pride before a fall. I don't think we recognize how deceitful our own hearts can be in this area. I want to tell you a story from Judges chapter 7. Gideon is, is, uh, has been called to fight the Midianites, and he's, he, he has a lot of fear issues. And, but God says, no, I, I want you to fight the, the Midianites. So he gives a call, and the army gathers together, and there are 32,000 Israelites gathered. Now, if you do, you can figure out the numbers by looking at Judges 6 and 7 and 8 of how big the Midianite army is by how many fleed. There were 135,000 Midianites. So we have 32,000 against 132,000. So it's, it's for every Israelite, there's four Midianites. And God speaks to 
to Gideon and he says, you have too many to fight them. And, and Gideon is like, come again? And then God gives the reason why it's too many. Here's why you have too many. If I give you victory right now, you will take credit for it. It will be bad for you in the long term. You, you will become full of yourself. You will attribute it to your own courage, your own success, your own strategy, your own everything. You'll write a book about it and, 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 and you'll, just, you'll just become filled with yourself. And he says, so send away everybody that's afraid. Which I think is hilarious because if everybody that's afraid is going to leave, Gideon himself will leave. <laughs> Gideon has shown how afraid he is. So, so it's not just having fear or Gideon himself would have to leave. It's just being unwilling to face fear. Um, and so, so Gideon announces to the 32,000, hey, if you're afraid, um, go home. 22,000 leave. There are now 10,000. It used to be one versus four. Now it's one versus 13. And now, I mean, it's terrifying. And Gideon's like, okay, God, we're ready to go. And God says, no. And he says, what do you mean no? He says, you, you still have too many. You guys will still take credit. You, 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 you are underestimating the human capability of taking credit for themselves. And, and I will do a miracle, and you will say, it wasn't really God, it was really how good we were. And he said, so here's what I need you to do. I need you to have everybody, all these 10,000, drink from the river. And I want you to watch them. Because everybody that kneels down to drink at the river, I want you to send them home. And all of those that squat and take the water and lap the water out of their hands. Those are the ones that I want you to stay. 9,700 of the soldiers got down on their knees to drink. They were confident, but they were overconfident. They were kneeling. They exposed themselves right in front of their enemy. They knelt down, whereas 300, only 300, were not just confident, but they were also careful. And they, and they, and they kept an eye out. And God says, now. He says, that'll do. We've got, we've got 300 left. Now it's one versus 400. One Israelite for every 400 Midianites. God says, you'll give me credit. Even you guys will say that was a miracle. That wasn't our ingenuity. That wasn't our courage. That wasn't our strategy. God did that. The Bible says that whoever boasts should boast in the Lord. Success easily breeds presumption. You can read this throughout the Bible. God's people do much better in failure than they do in success. <laughs> So, and I'm not saying, God wants us to succeed. I'm, this whole thing is about, I want you to prosper and I want you to succeed. So, here's how. Be confident and be careful. Especially when you win. Point three, be careful to keep your word. So they give their promise to the Gibeonites. 
And they make an oath in the name of the Lord to them. And then they find out who they really are. And Joshua and the leaders say, it, 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 it's too late. The next right thing to do is to honor our oath, even though it hurts us. Psalm 15, 1 through 4. Lord, who may dwell in your sacred tent? Who may live on your holy mountain? The one whose walk is blameless, who does what is righteous, who speaks the truth from their heart, whose tongue utters no slander, who does no wrong to a neighbor and casts no slur on others, who despises a vile person but honors those who fear the Lord, who keeps an oath even when it hurts and does not change their mind. Part of coming into his presence, part of being close to him, part of living close to him is something called integrity. Integrity means that my word means something. That when I give my word, that that's a big deal. And if I give my word too quickly or rashly and then wish I hadn't, um, it's already out there. And even if it hurts me, I will keep my promise. Whatever temporary setback we have, Joshua says, we will keep our promise to the Gibeonites. We will not, we will not have God's blessing if we go back on our word. God is watching, and this is part of what it means to serve him. How does this work? Well, you make a commitment to do something. People are expecting you. People are waiting for you. People are excited about you coming. And then a better offer comes. I don't want to do that anymore because now I could do this. And, and I want to keep my options open. And, but you already said you were going to this. So what do you do? With integrity, you do the thing that you said you would do. And what about that other thing? What about that? Yeah, that's your hurt. You, 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 you suffer the hurt of what you missed out on. What do you do? You watch over your word and you keep it. Now, once you become a parent, this is easy. Because when you're a parent, especially when you're a young parent, you say lots of stuff, and frankly, you're exhausted all the time, so you don't really remember what you say. Well, let me tell you this. Your kids remember exactly what you said. Dad, you said, you promised. You promised, Dad. I'm like, I don't remember promising it. And, and Beth would be able to say, here's where we were. This is, the, this is exactly what was our situation. And you said, boom, boom, boom. This is, I'm like, yeah, I did say that, didn't I? And of course, a dad wants his children to trust him. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to follow through on that, even if I, you know, I probably shouldn't have made that promise. And parents get smart. I've I, I learned something. You don't promise stuff. And if you promise something, you make it abundantly clear what the conditions are. If you do X, Y, and Z, then dad will do this. And let's just mark this right now because I don't want to be on the line later on for something that I wish I hadn't said. So you become much more careful about your words with children. Children. 
So what about when you can't keep your word? You double-booked yourself. What do you do? Here's how you do it. Because your word means so much to you. You, go, you call one of them and you say, would you please forgive me? I made a, an appointment and I made a separate appointment and I can't be at that one. Please forgive me. Could we reschedule? Here's what you don't do. You don't blame other people. You don't blame other things. You don't say, well, th- it's this or this. If you're late to an appointment, then what is your hurt? You, you, you said you'd be there by this time, but you're late. What is your hurt? Here's your hurt. I'm sorry. I said I would be here, and I didn't get it. You don't talk about the traffic. You don't talk about somebody came to me at the last second. You don't. You say, I am sorry for missing this. I gave my word. Here's the, here's the difficulty. If your word doesn't mean anything to you, then God's word, you won't believe God's word. You won't think God's word means anything to him. To believe God's word, you've got to believe your own words. <laughs> Jeremiah 1.12, God says, I'm watching over my word to perform it. I'm keeping track of what I say. I'm keeping track of whatever you've heard from the Lord. And God said this. God says, I want you to know I'm watching over it. I am a good father. I, you can keep coming back and saying, you said this. You said it. When did I? You said it right there. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. So you might, you might be here and you might be Um, a habitual liar and just feeling bad right now. First, let me just say this. God wants to forgive us all in this service for every time we've broken our word. It's about going forward. It's about, God, I want to be a person that keeps my word. I want to be a person that swears to his own hurt. So let's just get that. There's no condemnation here. God wants us to become people of integrity. And we can from this time Forward. It doesn't matter how you failed in the past. We're going to go forward. We're going to do the right thing. Let me explain why people are habitual liars. It's fear. I don't want to disappoint anybody. So I tell everybody what they want, want to hear, whether it's true or not. I don't want to get in trouble with mom and dad, so I just lie. I just make up a lie. Yeah, yeah, we were there, but... but uh, and, and it just lies, 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 lies to protect myself, to protect other people. And it's all based on fear. And God says, I don't want you to operate in fear anymore. I, I, I want you to operate out of my love and out of my truth. These are the people that I'm going to use in these days. These are the people that are invited to come close and experience my presence. I want to make you, by my grace, a person of integrity. Be careful. And then lastly, be careful to follow the cloud and not the crowd. That takes a little, uh, that just takes a little um, interpreting here. The, cloud, the glory cloud, the Shekinah glory cloud, was, led them in the wilderness. Wherever the cloud went, they would follow it. And Moses would go to the tent of meeting, and the cloud would come down, and God would speak out of that cloud. And before they came into the promised land, God says, keep, make sure you keep the ark in front of you. The ark is where the Shekinah glory rested all the time. Keep the ark before you, because you've never been this way before. Don't, you're not going to lead yourself. Your past experience is not going to lead you. You need to keep the ark in front of you. You need to operate by my 
voice and not what the crowd is saying. How many know that the crowd's always speaking? First, we have this crowd within. These are the people that are on his team. And it says that all the people started grumbling. Because they, another failure of leadership. We, we had a failure in I, and now we've got another failure at Gibeon, and everybody is complaining, everybody is murmuring, everybody's saying, I told you so, I told you so, I told you so. And it's just really easy uh, to get under negativity. Especially when the negativity is coming to those that are in your family or those that are very close to you. And, 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 and the crowd says, you can't, you can't, you can't. You failed in the past. You'll fail in the future. And it's just very easy for that voice to paralyze you. Don't listen to the voice of the crowd. You need to listen to God's voice. You need to listen to what God is saying. Joshua chapter 10, verse 5. Then the five kings of the Amorites, the king of Jerusalem, Hebron, Jarmuth, Lachish, and Eglon, joined forces. They moved up with all their troops and took up positions against Gibeon and attacked it. There are five armies right now against Gibeon, and Joshua is on his way. And so it's going to be five against two. These are all these royal cities that have come together, that have joined, and they are a very intimidating group. So you have the crowd within of, of, of grumbling unemployment, and then you have the crowd that's without. The, the enemies have a voice. The enemies of God have a voice, and it's, and it's intimidation. It's very, very intimidating. And fear has a very loud voice. Somebody gave this acronym for fear. False evidence appearing real. It's very, very loud. And it, it gets your attention. And if you listen to the voice of fear, it creates a paralysis where you, you try to get rid of fear by obeying fear and you actually end up empowering fear. And fear can get a hold on your life. A year ago, the pandemic started. And it was a virus. It still is a virus. But there was a spiritual virus attached to it called the spirit of fear. And where, wherever that virus has gone, fear has gone with it. And um, I, I knew it right, right away. This is, this is more, this is going to be more than a physical battle. This is uh, of keeping people safe physically. This is going to be a spiritual battle because there's a spirit of fear and intimidation trying to get on people, trying to shut people down. And so, of course, it doesn't, it, that's not the voice it uses. The voice was um, Science. So what science is saying, and uh, uh, this is 2021, I'm an intelligent person, I will follow science. And um, am I the only one that's been a little frustrated by what science has said? Am I uh, just a little frustrated? Um, because it, it, it sounds so smart, 
Of course we're going to do what science says. Here's, the, here's my problem. God's the only one that knows the science of this pandemic. I, I think that we've proven we don't really know for sure all the way through it, which is fine because they're learning as we go, but can we at least have a little humility of how we carry the science? Six months, six months into the pandemic, the World Health Organization, WHO, came out with a report. Here's what it said. The last, the absolute last resort should be lockdowns because lockdowns create emotional and mental problems as well as destroy economies. Thank you, World Health Organization. Where were you six months earlier? The whole world, the third world went into poverty. The, the, I mean, everybody shut down. Everybody was afraid. Everybody was just, and, and now we're saying the absolute last resort. So forgive me, a little frustration. Um, my other frustration has been just a lot of the media for nine months was creating just absolute fear. You don't love people unless you're at home locked up. You can't go to anything. You can't do anything. You need to be locked up. And then they have the audacity to be upset at the public school teachers that don't want to go back to school because of the virus. And they're like, well, don't you love the kids? The science shows that the kids aren't doing well and you need to go back to school. And they're like, what, what do you want from us? You've been scaring us for nine months and now you're telling us we're supposed to go back to school because of science? What? Forgive me. Forgive me for venting, folks. So we had, we had a very sincere young adult. Uh, I just love her. She's got a great heart. And about a month ago, she, I knew that her and I were diametrically opposed as to how to deal with it. Just so you know, all of us are on a spectrum with our personalities. Here is confidence and here is carefulness. God loves both confidence and carefulness. And, but some of us are over on the confidence side, and our, our, our error usually is presumption. And, and I'm over on this side. If I err, it's usually in presumption. And the carefulness side, it, it, the error can be to go into, into fear. And so just because somebody is careful does not mean they're afraid. Just because somebody's watching at home does not mean they're afraid. And please don't get that judgment. Everybody's dealing with this different. We've tried to give a, a wide range of how you are dealing with it. We just want you to... Obey God. We want you to do what God is saying. We don't want you to be at home because fear is telling you there. If God's telling you there, please stay at home. But, but let's not get under fear. Let's recognize, every, every Christian should memorize 2 Timothy 1.7. God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. Therefore, I am not responsible to obey what fear is telling me to do. If God's telling me to do it, then I want to do that. Okay, so... Back to this young adult. So she's definitely on the cautious side. I'm not saying fearful, but cautious. But, but just kind of, she said, Pastor Tom, because she loves City Church. She's like, could you please help me understand City Church's response to the pandemic? It, if the most loving thing is to keep everybody home and not be meeting publicly, why? We've been meeting publicly since, since May. And I said, I'll be so happy to explain my response to the pandemic. 
Public health is in charge of our physical well-being. So that's what they've got in mind, and they want to keep everybody physically safe. And so they give rules based on that. But I'm in charge of our spiritual, emotional, and mental health, so I need to do stuff. I need to keep that in mind. And being at home is not working for everybody. Some people have no connection. Some people are going through horrible things. And so we, we, we opened up. We've tried to keep distancing. It's getting harder and harder. Um, but no shame where, where, wherever you are. But let's, let's make room for one another. And let's not let fear win the day. Joshua 10, 6 through 8. The Gibeonites then sent word to Joshua in the camp at Gilgal, Do not abandon your servants. Come up to us quickly and save us. Help us, because all the Amorite kings from the hill country have joined forces against us. So Joshua marched up from Gilgal with his entire army, including all the best fighting men. The Lord said to Joshua, Do not be afraid of them. I have given them into your hand. Not one of them will be able to withstand you. Joshua joins the Gibeonites because they made a promise to them. He's, he's, doing, he's following his word, even if it hurts us. He doesn't know what's going to happen. But he knows he made a promise to them and that God's watching over his word. So he goes and he meets them. And there he seeks the Lord. And God speaks. Guys, do you know that when God speaks, it trumps every other voice? Do you know there's, there's a ton of voices today? There's voices of anger and frustration and strong opinions. And, and those voices are everywhere. They're on social media. They're, they're on news. They're on talk radio. They're at, they're at your workplace, in the coffee shop. Everybody's got opinions. And there's many, many, many words. But when God speaks... It doesn't matter which people are unhappy with the last decision. It doesn't matter that there's five armies out there. When God speaks, it changes everything. Isaiah 50, verse 4. Morning by morning, the Lord has wakened my ear to listen. Morning by morning. It's not just, you know, once on Sundays and, and God spoke once. Every morning, I'm, I'm positioning myself to hear what God's saying. I'm not presuming that I know what God's saying. I'm waiting every morning. And then, and then this beautiful ending of Isaiah 54. So that I might know the word that will sustain the weary one. Not words. Right now, our culture is wearied by words. By we, they're wearied by so many words. Somebody needs to hear from heaven. Somebody needs to hear what God is speaking. So last week, and I'm, I'm, I'm almost done. Worship team, in fact, you can start coming if you want to. Right before we're coming in the doors for worshiping and waiting. I mean, the music's already going. I'm by that door. I'm just about to come into the sanctuary. A teenager stops me. 
And he says, uh, he says to me, Pastor Tom, he says, I don't, know, I don't know if this is God, but it's so strong, I'm just going to say it to you. He said, I've been studying World War II. And he said, sometimes the best strategy in war is to not have a strategy. To just, to just be able to be flexible. And ever since he said that, I've, I've thought a lot about it. We're in a new, a new wineskin, guys. The, the, the old wineskin is very, it's not flexible. That's why it bursts when it gets new wine. The, the, a new wineskin is flexible. It can, it can move with the wine. And I, I honestly believe this is the new, the new wineskin. Don't have a strategy. Accept this, to hear God and to obey him to follow God, to see what God's doing, and to follow that. I don't think we're going back to church like we had it before the pandemic. I think this morning's message was a little parable for me. Guys, I finished this message on Wednesday. I was so excited about it, I printed it out. Then I revised it on Friday. Once again, I printed the whole thing out. I was so excited about it. I got up this morning, and that message was just gone. And I'm like, are you kidding me? What about all, that, all those clever things that I was going to say? And God's just like, it's, it's not about you. It's not about, uh, Lord, I've already told that story. It's not, I don't care how many times they've heard the story. If I want to tell a story, I'm going to tell a story. I'm like, yes, sir. <laughs> Do you know when I finished the message for this morning? During worship in the first service. They're in here worshiping. I'm writing a message. I want to I end with the story of Cain. Here's what happened to Cain. This is all in Genesis 4 if you want to read it. Abel, his brother, brought his first and his best offering to the Lord. And the Lord accepted Abel's offering. And Cain, after many days, decided he'd bring something too. And he brought an offering to the Lord. And the Bible simply says this. God didn't accept his offering. And Cain became very upset. And so God went face to face with Cain. Here's what he said. He said, Cain, why are you so downcast? Why are you so upset? If you do what is right, you will be accepted too. But he said, you need to watch out because sin is crouching at your door right now. And its desire is for you and you must master it. God is right there. Cain has brought an offering that he felt would be good enough, that he felt would be what God wanted, and God said, no, that's not what I want. And so he gets all upset, he gets all mad, and God's right there saying, just do what's right. He could just ask God what's right. God, what's right? If that was wrong, please forgive me. What is right? God is right there. He can ask him, what would be a right offering? How did this displease you? How? But pride... Will not ask. Pride is, this is what I had, and you didn't take it, and therefore you don't love me, therefore you're not good, therefore you're against me, therefore pride just has all these arguments against God and against God's goodness. And all he has to do is, do you know what, you know what James 1.5 says? 
It says, if any of you lacks wisdom, and wisdom is about what to do. It's not facts. It's just about what to do next. If anybody, if you, any of you lacks wisdom, let him ask of God who gives generously without finding fault. It doesn't matter how many things you've done wrong in the past. It doesn't matter how horrible you've been. God is very generous, and he wants you to do the next right thing. More than you want to do it. You just need to ask him. So Cain goes off in a huff. And have you, has anybody noticed it's really hard to get back at God? I mean, it's, how am I going to give God a bad day? God's always having a good day, whatever you're doing. So people don't try to get at God. They usually take it out on people. So he goes out and he kills his brother, Abel. And God comes again to Cain and says, where's your brother? And he says, am I my brother's keeper? And he says, your brother's blood is crying out to me. Crying out for justice. And the Bible says that Cain then flees the presence of the Lord and he dwells in the land of Nod. Nod means wandering. He makes his home homelessness. He makes his home wandering. He leaves his true home, the presence of God, and he lives in wandering. This is where most of America is right now. They're wandering around in the dark. Wandering around mad, upset, wandering around. This is where a lot of the churches just got away from God, got away from God's presence, and just wandering, wandering, wandering. Well, listen, listen to Hebrews chapter 12, and we'll sing this song. But you have come to Mount Zion, to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem. You have come to thousands upon thousands of angels in joyful assembly, to the church of the firstborn, whose names are written in heaven. You have come to God, the judge of all, to the spirits of the righteous made perfect, to Jesus, the mediator of a new covenant, and to the sprinkled blood that speaks a better word than the blood of Abel. Did you know that the blood of Jesus is speaking to God right now? You know what it's saying? The blood of Jesus is saying, even though they've sinned, I bore that sin. It speaks of our innocence. It speaks of justice has already been accomplished in the cross. So I can forgive. I can welcome them. I can bring them home. No matter how far they've wandered, no matter where they've wandered, they belong in my presence. I have won them back, Father. And my blood, I want my blood to speak to every single one of you. I want my blood to speak. You're not condemned. You're not rejected. You're not forsaken. You are welcome. You are welcomed into the presence of God. You don't need to live your life wandering. You don't need to leave, live your life wondering, is God for me? Is God against me? Is God real? Is God, God wants to secure you in his presence. Not that you'll know everything, but you'll know the one who knows everything. You will rest in the one that has all things. This is God's plan. Could we stand together? So if you're here... If you're here right now or online right now and you know beyond a shadow of a doubt you have wandered from God. You are living in the land of wandering, of restlessness, of unbelief, of accusation and and tonight or today you want you want to come home. And if you if you've never been home, if you've never 
experienced Christ, if you've never experienced his salvation, he's smiling at you right now. The Bible says he stands at the door and knocks. He's just waiting for you to open the door. He wants, this is why he died, was to bring us home. Some of you, you're in the church, but you haven't been living in his presence. You've been wandering. You've been wandering all kinds of places, pride, fear, sometimes back and forth between the two, listening to many, many voices. And today, you just want to come home. And once again, he's smiling. Come home. Father, in Jesus' name. just welcoming us. God, we're opening our door, our figurative door, and we're saying, Jesus, come in and take your rightful place. Have your way in me. Have your way in us. I choose your presence. I choose your voice. Lord, would you silence the roaring lion it's just because it's loud, folks, does not mean it's true. Just because it's loud, the accusation, the fear, the just because it's loud doesn't mean it's true. Jesus, would you turn up your voice in every single heart here and online, God? Speak in the midst of the chaos. Bring light in the midst of the darkness. On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread and he said, this is my body given for you. Take and eat. Let's eat together. When the supper was ended, he took the cup. He said, this is my blood. The blood of the new covenant. The new agreement that God is making with man. And here's how the agreement works. I'm going to pour out my blood for the forgiveness of your sins. Come on, folks. He said, take and drink. Let's drink. We love you, Lord. We love you, Jesus. Woo! I, I know I know these guys want to go back to worship and the day is coming and we'll do it right now. We need to pick up our kids. God bless you. Have a great day. Amen.